our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe. <clears throat> we are thankful that you are enthroned on high and, and that you are over it all and that you are in control of it all. And we ask, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and minds, that you would speak through me, that I would be emptied away, but that you would be glorified. In Yeshua's holy name, amen. Our study tonight is out of Isaiah chapter 2, a uh, very interesting chapter, um, really gets into last day events. Isaiah, for the time period that he uh, prophesied in, uh, really speaks a lot about last day events and a lot of other things. I mean, it's amazing going through the chapters again and there's just so much in there. In this chapter itself, uh, verse two, chapter 2, verse 1, the word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It's interesting, the word that he saw, you know. That's why not only the prophets were called, they were also called seers, because they saw. Um, so the word that Isaiah saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains. So God's house is going to be established above all the mountains, and he shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. And so here again we get this eternal uh, picture of, of just everybody flowing towards God. Um, and this obviously is uh, representing the, the new heavens, the new earth, where, where everybody is worshiping God, God fully exalted, God lifted up, his throne lifted up above all the mountains, and um, over, over it all. So basically, he starts by saying, or God's showing him, in the end, I win. In the end, I will be over it all. And uh, so whatever you're going through now, and Isaiah certainly went through a lot, and, and the nation of Israel, north of where he was, he was prophesying over Jerusalem and Judah, but, uh, but during his life, the Assyrians come in and wipe out northern Israel and harass Judah a lot and take many of their cities. And so he went through horrendous time, uh, but God is reassuring him, don't worry, I am in control now, and one day I will, not Assyria, and not Syria, and not anyone else, but God of the universe will sit enthroned above the mountains of the earth. Which is very interesting, and we see that whole analogy in the rest of the Bible as well, especially in books like Revelation. Verse 3. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the law from Jerusalem, and he shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. Well, that's a song that we sing here, right? It's a wonderful song. Uh, and... Uh, Wonderful words, wonderful text, um, encouraging us to come because God is going to be enthroned, because everyone will worship him, because he is the ruler of the universe. He invites us now to come and let us go to him. Let us go to the mountain of the Lord. Let us go and follow him. Let us go and worship him to the house. and He teaches us, and, and there he will teach us just as he taught Adam and Eve. Face to face, we will see him face to face. We'll walk in his path. The law, he will teach us his law. 
His law is eternal. He'll teach us his law now, and he will teach us his law, his ways, his paths, his directions, what is right and wrong throughout eternity. The word of the Lord will come from him. It's amazing. This God says he will dwell and he will exalt, be exalted on the mountains here. Other analogies of this is the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven and landing and the, the Mount of Olives parting and New Jerusalem landing there. God's throne moves from where it is now out there in the universe and he moves it to this fallen planet. Pretty amazing concept. Because he has taken what is worst and has shown what he can do. Right? Uh, and we see that a lot. You know, I mean, you know, powerful stories, things that make powerful movies uh, or powerful books or, or powerful testimonies are especially you know, someone who came from the horrible dreads of this earth and then made it, you know, whether you know, religiously and came to the Lord and his life has changed or even for a secular movie, you know, that made a success out of it. You know, someone who, you know, came from, you know, uh, no education, and, you know, whatever, often and then, you know, educates himself and, and makes it successful. So from the worst to the best. That doesn't mean that everyone else's story who, you know, is just, uh, you know, happy all their life uh, isn't powerful as well, especially as we come to the Lord and are saved. That's very powerful. No matter, you know, how far uh, we had fallen, you know, we're all sinners, so none of us really fall that much further as far as God's viewpoint than anyone else. Uh, you know, it's not even noticeable from heaven's viewpoint. But we like those testimonies. And that's what he's saying here. He's taking... The, the planet that was the worst in the universe, the fallen planet, the rebellious planet. And look at what he's done to it. He'll make a new heavens and a new earth, and he saved people out of it. That people turned from Satan and turned to him, that came to him, that sought him out, that went from carnal hearts that hated his law, that hate God, or were naturally born with enmity towards God, with hatred towards God, and he so transforms us from being his enemies to hating him and hating his law to running after it and running after him and wanting to learn from him and wanting to receive it. And so he moves his capital to here. Not here now, but in the new, he creates the new heavens and the new earth. He will judge, he is the judge, and he will rebuke. Again, it's last day events, he comes, rebukes, judges, when the new Jerusalem comes down, not at his next coming, but a third coming. That's a whole big story in itself. But his third coming, when the new Jerusalem comes down, he comes down with it. He will, says the Bible, the Revelation says, the nations will come up, Gog and Magog and all around the world will come upon the city to take it. Fire will come down from God out of heaven and destroy them. He will rebuke many people. He will judge between the nations. He'll separate the sheep from the goats, the wheats from the tares. Verse 4, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. Does that sound familiar? We just sang that, right? That's the song we just sang. And the, and the, and the one, the other verse, verse 3, we're going to sing after the sermon. Uh, but this one we just sang. Um, Louisa Goy, right? Um, nation shall not war against another nation anymore. And so God will bring about everlasting peace. He will rebuke the, 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 rebe the rebellion and, and the 
wicked and the carnal in heart that have refused his love and refused his ways and refused his law, refused his word. And the only ones left will be the righteous that have turned from sin, allowed God to transform their lives, who surrendered their lives to God, who've accepted the Messiah's sacrifice in their behalf, who has taken away our sins, taken away our carnal heart, taken away our evil thoughts, taken away our past debt of sin, and has changed us and transformed us, moment by moment, day by day, decision by decision, into his likeness, so that we love his appearing, so that we're drawn after him, so that hatred is gone, violence is gone, selfishness is gone, and we will beat the swords into plowshares. Mentions that in another text in the Bible, I think it's in Micah as well. And their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not lift up sword against nations. No more war anymore. That will be wonderful, huh? We haven't been affected here in this country lately that uh, really for a long time here on this soil by war. There's many war-torn countries in this world right now. Just unbelievable. Can't imagine what it would be like. Maybe some of us here have lived through something like that. But uh, to be in a place where just for years on end, homes being bombed, your houses blown away, over in a refugee camp in a tent for years in mud, or, or you're stuck in the city and you're not able to get out and just bombs overhead and family and loved ones dying and getting shot and killed and maimed. And it's horrible, this world. Horrible. It's absolutely amazing. These nations want to continue that and do that and perpetuate it and bring it about and, and are aggressive and start wars. It's absolutely crazy. But they do and have done that basically since the fall, since Cain killed Abel. But in the new heavens and new earth, there will not be any more of that. There will be no more wars. No more nuclear weapons. No more nuclear warheads. No more dirty bombs. No more terrorists. No more beheadings. No more threatenings. No crime or anything of this like. What a wonderful place it'll be. Well worth it to make it there. This statue, anyone recognize that statue? It's a man there. He's got a hammer and he's got a sword and he's hitting it, bending it into a plowshare, right? Anyone seen that anywhere before? Anyone recognize that? Yes, it looks like some kind of Hercules or something. Like a Hercules, but it's not. It's specifically for this text. It was made you know, with the emblem under it to beat the swords into plowshares. Where have you seen it? Anyone know where it is? Israel. Israel? The United Nations. It sits right outside the United Nations. I noticed that he's right. Yeah, he's right. Uh, this was donated by Russia. I mean, you think of that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> to the UN, and uh, back in like 59 or something like that. The guy hasn't been beating that sword hard enough, but he, gets, he needs to get to work. <laughs> I don't remember. Big. big. All right. Oh, house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. 
That's another song we do. That's another song we'll be doing after the sermon. So three songs in, in, in just the first five verses of Isaiah. In this one chapter, not even the whole chapter, in this first portion of this chapter. Well, this song continues with some more of the verses, but three songs that we sing regularly. So again, Isaiah is just so poetic and so beautiful that, uh, that songwriters have said, hey, I like that. And they've put music to it, and, uh, and we enjoy it. Um, so again, Isaiah is a wonderful book, and we'll enjoy going through it. Um, also shows that a lot of the songs that we do here, almost all of them, come right from Scripture. Over oh, the beginning of the song, we have that you know, listed there where it's from, but, but sometimes we don't you know, realize that or think about that, uh, but that uh, we're singing God's word, which is very powerful and very good to do. A lot of meaning in that. So Isaiah makes this appeal. House of Jacob, come. Let us walk in the light of the Lord now because he's going to rule over it all. He's going to be the ruler over the mountains. He's going to sit enthroned on high. He's the judge. He's coming to judge. He's going to judge between the nations. He's going to destroy the wicked. He's going to destroy those who don't love him, those who don't want him, those who reject him, those who resist him. So surrender now and come and walk in the light. Come out of the darkness. Come out of the anger and the bitterness and the rage, the depression and the fear. Come out of it and walk in the light. Walk in the light of the Lord. Because he's coming and it's going to be so glorious when he comes, be no more war. Surrender it all. And come and walk in the light. Walk in his presence. Walk under his glow. Walk under his, his, the shine of his face. The countenance of his face. Verse 6, For you have forsaken your people, the house of Jacob, because they are filled with eastern ways. So now again, he kind of goes again back and forth, you know, to he was looking way ahead, and he backs up a little bit, judgment before, and backs up, come, backs up even more. That's the reason they were forsaken. They were filled with eastern ways, which is very prophetic, because that's what's happening today, amazingly. Filled with eastern ways. Even in Judaism and Christianity. Eastern ways have infiltrated deeply into Judaism and Christianity. And we don't realize it. They've done it in such a way, they've repainted it, they've renamed it, they've redecorated it, and put biblical terminology to it, but it's basically Eastern ways. There's different kinds of meditation, meditation rooms, uh, and, and, and things like that comes from Eastern things. Prayer is good, good to meditate, but it, God doesn't tell us to empty our minds and just think of nothing. God wants us to think on Him. Get into a meditative state where you're not thinking of anything and you're emptying your mind. Satan will make sure he fills it with something. Keep your mind stayed on the Lord. Fill your mind with Him. The Bible tells us to empty our mind. It tells us to surrender our mind, surrender our heart, give that over to the Lord, and then be filled with him. Let this mind be in you that was in issue with the Messiah. Not this empty meditation stuff. Uh, uh, there's a lot of uh, different um, uh, 
the self-help stuff, a lot of the self-help stuff that's out there, and I'm not talking about Home Depot and Lowe's help. You know, I'm talking about, you know, that you're, you're, you're in yourself and that your you're power within you. Uh, now, when God's spirit is within us, his power is within us and it's mighty. That's different than the power that is your own power that is within you and just find it and use it and, you know, uh, self-determination and, and, again, you're helping yourself and mind over matter and, and uh, all this comes from Eastern ways. And in a lot of these books, if you go back to the bibliographies and stuff and uh, see where they're getting their information from, they will list books from Eastern religions. There's a lot of this stuff, a lot of what's coming in there now um, is, uh, is directly from these Eastern ways. And again, it's infiltrated throughout Judaism and, and Christianity. Uh, Kabbalah, Kabbalah has a lot of this kind of Eastern stuff in it and mysticism and magical stuff in it. It's all not biblical. And here, Isaiah pins it right where it was at then, and it's there again today. Amazingly, come full circle. Verse 7, the land is also full of silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Well, that's pretty depictive today as well. There's silver and gold and just treasures and building it up for ourselves. Their land is also full of horses, and there is no end to their chariots. There are houses that have more cars than people. Their land is also full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands. People bow down and each man humbles himself. Therefore, do not forgive him. So this list of things following Eastern ways, not biblical ways, false religions, mixing it with the true, holding up for themselves silver and gold to lift themselves up, to draw attention to themselves, amassing wealth for themselves, and then worshiping idols. We have all kinds of idols world and country. We pay these people who chase balls around fields billions of dollars and millions of dollars and, and uh, make them idols. So a guy is tattooing his head uh, like a, base, a football helmet. That's crazy. You know, what if he doesn't like that team anymore? What if that team moves out of town? I mean, that's happened, right? That team changes names, goes out of business, whatever, you know. Changes their logo. He's got this emblazoned on his head. We worship these things. It's a form of worship. Throw money at them and massive money and time, our energy and our focus. How can we know if it's an idol to us? Right? We give money to lots of things and do lots of things and read things and watch things. How can we know if it's an idol? Do we start emulating it? By beholding, we become changed. Are we beholding God and becoming more like God? Or are we becoming more like these 
people out there, the, the rich and the famous, the stars in the sky, the worldly fame. Do we start copying them, our mannerism, our words, our thinking, our lifestyles? Do we want to have I mean, people pay, you know, a guy hit a baseball or whatever, they, they spend millions on a baseball, home run hit, or, or, or jacket that some guy wore, or, or some uh, rock star, musician, you know, and, and uh, this is a handkerchief he sweated on, or whatever, you know, and they'll spend lots of money on this stupid stuff, because they want to have something that is that person's. Is it changing us? Are they changing us? Again, I would think tattooing them on your head is changing the way you think, right? It's changing what you do and emulating that type of stuff. Are we spending more time on them, on that type of stuff, than on God? Are we spending more money on that, on Super Bowl tickets, than we are on God? Where is our focus? Where is our treasure? Our most important treasures are our time and the resources God has given to us. Have they become our idols? Our cars, our things, our houses. What has become our idols? The works of our hands. Maybe our hobbies. We can easily make them our own idols too. The day of the Lord will come upon everything proud and lofty, Upon every lifted up, everything that's lifted up, and it shall be brought low. The loftiness of man shall be bowed down. The haughtiness of man shall be brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. But the idols he shall utterly abolish. Hallelujah. Amen, right? Hallelujah. So it's another sign whether or not this thing or whatever it is is an idol. Are we exalting it? Do we exalt it? Again, do we exalt it with our time and our money, but do we exalt it in our mind? Is it important? You know, more important? Is it so important? You know, would we just lose it if we lost that imitation race car or whatever? You know, I mean, how exalted is it in our life? How important is it? Have we lifted it up and given it importance? Or is it just a game or whatever? You know, it could be good to watch or whatever. We could do with it or without it. Is it exalted? Because God will lower everything. Everything that's exalted. All the pride of man. And we're so proud. We have buildings named after people. And, and all these kind of things. We boast ourselves. and We lift ourselves up. We'll bring it all down. Everything will be brought low. Everything will be humbled. Because there's only room for one ruler on the throne, right? The king of the hill, right? So God says, he is the king of the hill. <laughs> and everyone else is trying to get up to the top of the hill to climb the ladder of success. It's going to get pushed off because he's the king. He alone will be exalted in that day. And he will come. And when he comes, his judgment And if we've resisted him, if we think we know better than him, we don't need his word, we don't need his law, we can do it this way, we can do it our own way, 
will be brought low. So we have a choice. We can humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord now and let him lift us up. Or we can walk around lifted up and let him bring us down. Everyone who falls on the rock will be saved. But everyone upon whom the rock falls will be crushed. Better to fall upon him ourselves. Choose to humble yourself. Choose to surrender our lives to the Lord. Choose to accept him as the exalted God. Choose to allow him to be Lord over everything in your life. Choose to acknowledge we're nothing without you. We need you for everything. For every breath. We need you. Every thought, every work of our hands is only because of you. We need you. Let him be exalted now. And then we'll be happy when he comes and he's exalted. We'll run to him and run to his light and say, come, let us go up to the house of the Lord. But if we're constantly putting ourselves above him, Spending our, on our things before returning back to him what is his. Taking care of our needs for his needs. Not spending time first with him every day. Not putting him first in all matters. Not consulting with him before we make a decision, before we do anything. If we put ourselves first and our own thinking first and our own decisions first, he will humble us. Every lofty, every proud and lofty, the loftiness of men, the haughtiness of men, shall be brought low, shall be brought low. And all the worthless stuff of this world that people spend millions of dollars on, or all their energy, or all their time, it's all going to be abolished. It's all going to burn up. All the little trinkets and all the metal things and all the plastic things and all the silver and the gold, it's all going to melt with fervent heat. It's all going to burn up. All our precious things of this world will burn and melt up. All those little keepsake things of this star, this idol, this person, this thing, this team, this, it's all going to melt. It's all going to be done away with. Verse 19. They shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake the earth mightily. So again, he's back. Basically, started at the third coming, third verse one at the very end, and he's been working his way back. Here we have him coming as judge. Judging the earth, shaking the earth, destroying the wicked. They will run from his presence. Revelation says they, they run from the wrath of the Lamb. And run into the, in quotes here, holes in the rocks of the caves, saying, hide us. Hide us from the, wrath of the, the face of God and the wrath of the Lamb. They will run from him. 
instead of coming into his light, instead of running to the house of the Lord, teach us your ways, teach us your laws, teach us your word, they will run. Why? Why, why did one people group run to the Lord? And why do one run away? The choice of the heart. We choose. It's not how we're made. We're all made sinners. We're all made resistant to him. We're all made running away from him. We're all born that way since the fall, since even Adam surrendered to Satan. But it's the choice we made. Have we chosen to humble ourselves before the Lord and to accept him into our hearts, to allow his spirit to change our minds, change our thoughts, change our attitudes, give us a love for him. And so they'll run because they've been resistant to him. They've put self first. And they see he's coming, he's the boss. He's, he's bigger than me. And they'll run. They'll run. They might have been no fear, you know, here. They've been, been, you know, trying to step on the meek of the earth here, and bully everyone around, cause wars here and terrorism here and bad boy here. But when Big Brother comes, watch out. They will be humbled. They will be laid low. He'll come and he'll shake the earth mightily. In that day, a man will cast away his idols of silver and gold to the moles and bats to go into the clefts of the rock from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty. So it's terror to them and it's glory to the righteous. Those that have been made righteous, again, we're not born righteous. It's not our own self that we're righteous in God's righteousness. When he arises to shake the earth mightily, sever yourselves from such a man. His breath is in his nostrils. For what account is he? Sever yourself from those who are proud and lifted up, the haughty in this earth, the vain of this earth, the violent of this earth. Sever yourselves from such a man. And if I was just describing you, sever yourself from yourself. Sever yourself from the old carnal nature. And give it to the Lord. And let him take that old carnal heart and destroy it. And bury it away in the cleft of the rock now. Throw, throw the idols into that rock, into that cave. Throw our silver and our gold into that cave, his cave, where he was buried. And leave it there now. Because it'll be too late then. It'll be too late to get rid of it then. But it'll be worthless then. That's what it's saying. It's worthless. They'll throw it into the rocks again. It'll be absolutely worthless. Worthless. These things that these people stole and lied and cheated and manipulated and coerced and harassed and clawed over people and walked over people to get will be absolutely worthless. We'll be throwing it to the moles and bats. Absolutely worthless. It's what it's worth now, too. So sever yourself from such a man. Why? Because his breath is in his nostrils. He's nothing. He's nothing. Just dust. Just a vapor. What account is he? What value is he? What worth is he? Big, tough guy. Got this nuclear weapon he's threatening you with? So what? 
He's nothing compared to God. His breath is in his nostrils. God can take that breath in a moment. It's God's breath. God who's given him life. So now is the time to sever ourselves from wrong relationships. We need to be in the world. We need to minister to the world. We need to be out there meeting people who are haughty and proud and lifted up, selfish and angry and hatred, hateful. We need to be looking for them and reaching out to them and coming close to them, ministering to them in some way, shape, or form, befriending them in some way, shape, or form, but only for the purpose of sharing the Lord with them. Only for the purpose that they can experience the new heavens and the new earth. Only for the purpose that they will get to experience war no more. Only so they can experience the joy of the Lord. Only so they can experience the light of the Lord. Of the Lord. Only so they can experience the wonderful joy of the transformation of the life that God gives to us. Only so they can be set free from the bondages to the things of this world. But if we are associating with people who don't love the Lord, and we're not having a positive influence in, on them, then they're probably having a positive influence on us. And thus we need to sever ourselves from such a person. For the Bible warns us, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. It certainly applies to marriage, but it applies to other things as well. So we need that balance of, again, ministering to the world but not letting them have. We shouldn't, again, just only have friends who are just like us and know the Lord. That'd be pretty horrible. That's not what God called us to do. God called us to go and be salt to the earth. You don't just pile the salt in one place. Scatter it out. We've got to be careful not to let them draw us down. Or, in a sense, draw us up proud and lofty, you know, haughty. Not to draw us away from the Lord. Because what are they? They're just like those idols. They're just like that silver. They're just like that gold. It's all passing anyway. It'll all pass. But the Lord will endure forever. He will sit on his throne. He will sit on the mountain above all the hills. He will be exalted in that day. So now is the time. Today is the day when we hear his voice to surrender our hearts to him, to humble ourselves before him, to allow him to be God and Lord of our lives, to exalt him in our life, in our lifestyle, in our words, in our deeds, in our actions, with our time, with our energy, with our talents, with our finances. Exalt the Lord. Now is the time to practice putting him first. Because in heaven, that's what we'll all want to do. If we enjoy doing it here, we won't enjoy doing it now. then. And if we don't enjoy doing it here, we can just surrender that. He'll take that away, and he'll give us joy in surrendering to him, and joy in being with him. And so now is the time. Now is the warning. Now is the opportunity. Now is the chance. Begin to experience heaven now.
We can turn the swords into plowshares now. We can surrender all the anger and bitterness that we might have towards anyone. We can surrender any feelings of revenge and hatred, hurt, sadness. We can surrender it to the Lord now and trust in him and wait upon him. Come, let us go to the house of Jacob. Come, let us go up to the house of the Lord. Come, let us come before his throne. Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. I invite us as we pray together to do those very things. If there's any idols in your heart and in your mind, any eastern ways, false theology in your heart or mind, anything that been, you've been coveting, whether you've been storing up silver and gold or chariots and horses or having idols exalted in your own mind or proud. So we pray together, surrender any of those things or anything else God has revealed to you. Maybe you don't like going to him. Maybe you don't like drawing to him. Maybe you don't want to put him first every day and in everything. It just shows you're human. You've got a carnal heart. God wants to take the humanness and bury it in him. And he wants to give us his divine nature his mind, his thought. That's what he'll do for us. It's whatever you're needing. You exalt him, lift him up. Maybe you're just crying out for that day and say, Lord, hasten that day. Lord, use me in reaching those who don't know you. Lord, use me in ministering to those who need you. Maybe you're in some kind of relationship. Maybe it's a friendship relationship. Maybe it's a close relationship. But someone is proud, haughty, resistant to the Lord, carnal in mind and heart, and they're having a negative effect on you. And you need to either change that situation around and be bold for the Lord and strong in the Lord, and powerful in the Lord and mighty in the Lord. Or maybe like the text said, maybe you need to sever that relationship. May the Lord give you wisdom and insight to know what you need to do in your life. So any area of these texts that we read that apply to you, and maybe God again is just speaking to you. The Spirit is here. We prayed for it. Maybe God's speaking to you on something else. And that's fine too. Whatever applies to you right now as we pray, let's come before the Lord and receive of him. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we're thankful that you are the king of the universe now and you will be the king of the universe forever. And you will be king over this world as well. We want you to be king over our lives, over our minds, over our decisions, over our thoughts, over our wants, over our desires, over our taste buds, over everything we do, everything we say, everything we think. Lord, we want you to be first. We want to surrender and confess. We haven't always put you first. We want you to be first. We want to confess and surrender our pride and our haughtiness. And the times that we thought we've known better than you and the times we've resisted your word or your law or your truth because we want to do our own thing. Cleanse us, forgive us. Thank you for the sacrifice of Messiah. Take us and throw us into that cave with him. Bury us away. 
resurrect us into newness of life, live in us and out of us, be exalted in our lives, be lifted up in our lives, and draw us into your light, in Yeshua's holy name, amen.